watch the eclipse? Um, I was around for the eclipse, yes. Yep. It got dark, and then it, it got a little darker, did you and then it got the, lighter. Did you get the glasses? Did you actually view no. this event? No, 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 no. Uh, plenty of TV stations had good pictures of it, though, so I feel like I got, <laughs> I feel like I got the overall experience. <laughs> you needed a second. You, know, you needed did, a second screen. The eclipse. I did. I did see the president uh, look up at uh, directly into the sun. Um, I must admit, I mean, I took a peek too, and I'm I'm fine. I'm, I'm still standing. So, um, here's my we'll one see. thing about the eclipse: is that every it seemed like everyone on Twitter had a joke ready to go. No, of course. I mean, I had to log. I was looking for basketball news, and every it was just eclipse joke, eclipse joke, <laughs> uh, a block joke. Uh, putting something over something joke. Everyone just had it ready to go. That was a big day for everyone. I didn't realize people were like taking work off when their kids out of school. You know, um, it's an event. Guess, uh, but it is an event. I I, I kind of started to realize that once it started happening. I mean, it didn't. Ha- I don't know if you didn't. I don't know if you noticed. It didn't happen that often. You're sleeping on the eclipse. I think is what mm. this all comes down to. I'll be ready. I'll be ready next time. Don't worry. Twenty twenty four. Get ready because see yeah. the thing about the eclipse is it really makes you face your own mortality. Because there's going to come a point, David, what? where there's an eclipse and you go, "Well, when's the next one?" And you start to slowly realize, "I may not be alive for that." Oh, well, you could say that anytime, <laughs> you know. But the other thing was. The other thing that was weird, the other thing I didn't see coming was people dressed up as Star Wars characters at some of these Eclipse rallies or Eclipse, you know, gatherings, like Star Wars characters, aliens. Like, I, was I, at the, I, it, I was at the Eclipse counter rally. I was against the Eclipse. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. Well, good people. No, not, not going to go there. Fine people. All right, let's go. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash L-O-H. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. David, we have a fantastic show to lead off this week. Yes, I'd agree. One of the bigger questions going into the season is Dwight Howard, Doug, and we're going to talk about him. And talk all about Dwight Howard with an expert on hand, Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks, covered Dwight Howard very closely last season and he will talk to us about this article that came out Woj covering Dwight Howard for ESPN we're going to talk about this article here in a moment because it's making me nervous that's what this show is all about today I'm just nervous in general about the Hornets as we we're like a month away from training camp maybe less and and I'm getting nervous about this roster construction. And so hopefully, uh, David, I think you're less nervous than I am. And that's that tends to be In the general, case. Yeah. Te- yeah, that tends to be the case. Yeah. I'm a worrier. You are, are are not so much. I think that's fair to say. 
I worry a lot. I worry a lot about the direction that Twin Peaks is going, and you always tell always tell me to let it wash over me. So I'm hoping that you can kind of soothe some of those fears. So we're we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I said at the top of the show, subscribe to us on iTunes. But there's something else I need you to do as well, guys out there listening. I need you to, uh, if you use Overcast, give us a star on on the episodes that you listen to. A few of you listen to us on Overcast. If you don't, it's the podcast. I don't know what you use, David, to listen to podcasts, but I use Overcast. They're not a sponsor of the show or anything. I'm just telling you that I use Overcast. And uh, because I find it easier than the the iPhone app for podcast. So if you don't use Overcast and you've been looking, maybe you're, you're not satisfied with your podcast app, use Overcast and then give us a star. Why am I asking you to do this? Because apparently the Overcast algorithms are a little bit different than iTunes. And if we get enough of these stars, it's a little bit easier for us to climb into the the top of the rankings. And that's going to allow other fans like you to find us and, and generally help us uh, to succeed. So with that, uh, uh, thank you. Also, big announcement, we are going back to our daily routine, Monday through Friday for the summer. We've been doing about two or three episodes a week. We're going back to five shows a week starting the second week of September. September 11th is the first day that we go back to our five-day rotation. Are you excited, David? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm marking my calendar. Yeah, I'm ready. It's, It's been a nice little break, a little siesta. There's not as much to talk about, although we've had some good things this summer. But yeah, it's time to get back into it, Doug. Can you believe it, though? I mean, training camp's coming up. I well, I can because I I believe I believe that the Earth is round. I believe that the calendar has 365 yeah. days, so I can believe it. Um, what I can't believe is all of the changes that have been happening to the Charlotte Hornets roster and how that's going to affect things. That's what I can't. I can't believe Dwight Howard is going to be in purple and teal. To be very, to be very frank with you. To be very frank, Kaminsky with you. That's what I can't believe. And it is. It is. Yeah. And some of these comments, David, are, are making me nervous that I see from That's Dwight it. Howard in the media. Are you ready to talk about this? Absolutely. All right. So I have the article pulled up here. Woj uh, went down to Georgia looking for a Dwight Howard scoop to steal and uh, talked to Dwight Howard and Steve Clifford for this wow. article. Wow. <laughs> I just pulled that out I of the hat. It. I got it. I didn't even. I, I didn't even write that down. I write everything down. Didn't even write that down. Yeah. I'm just ready to go Man, on this ready. Tuesday. Somebody's ready for the season. All right, David. Some of these comments are making me nervous. I think what makes me nervous. I'm sure most of you have have read it. I'm going to pull it up. In fact, because I want to read some of these quotes. I don't know why I didn't have it pulled up initially. Just give me one second, David. It's worth the wait, folks. It's a good article. If you haven't read it, go check it out. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. We're going to give you some highlights, I bet. Picture, if you will, Dwight Howard working alone in a gym in and around the greater Atlanta area. The article is titled, Steve Clifford and Hornets Offer Dwight Howard a Home and Hope. But here's what makes me nervous, David. It's that you have Steve Clifford extolling Dwight Howard's paint presence, his defense, and his rebounding. And you have Dwight Howard in this article in practice hoisting up three-pointers. 
and talking about how Atlanta only wanted him to play defense and rebound in the playoffs and didn't give him the shots that he wanted. And those two things don't necessarily jive. And we've seen Clifford in the past not be so kind to an attitude of, well, I'm not getting mine on offense, so I don't necessarily want to give 100% on defense or give 100% in terms of rebounding. And, and so that's, it's David, it's making me nervous. Yeah, I think that goes with the territory of acquiring and living with Dwight Howard. I mean, uh, some Brad talked about it about him in Atlanta, but I mean, here's the thing you have to remember, and this is what I, uh, you know, take solace in the fact that Clifford has wanted to add Dwight Howard to this team ever since, ever since it became a possibility going back to the beginning of last year, right? So, or last offseason. And so he knows Dwight Howard. Um, I don't think he has ignored him since they, since they split ways. Uh, you know, last time they met, I don't think he's under any uh, delusions of grandeur that he's changed into like a, a different type of player, a different type of person. Um, certainly probably matured a little bit, changed somewhat. We all do over time. But I mean, for the most part, he's still going to want his touches. And that's what this whole thing comes down to for me. If they can, you know, manufacture a couple ways to get Dwight Howard involved and get those touches to him. I mean, it sounds like that was the big falling out factor in Atlanta. Um, and it sounds like Clifford has some ways to keep him involved, you know, feature his passing, not, not feature his passing, but utilize his ability to pass the ball uh, in and out of the post. And so some, some things like that. I mean, th- that article, it also mentioned he's still working on the three-pointer. That's something we'd heard at the start of the season. I, I don't think that is going to be featured. I don't think Clifford's looking for him to do that. Um, but, but the other big point coming out of that was Clifford almost realizes that you have to let Dwight Howard kind of get this stuff out of his system, you know, work it out. Um, and, and, um, and then they can work together moving forward. I mean, that's, that's going to be the big question because Doug, it's fascinating to me that this Atlanta team made the playoffs last year. They had, you know, some good times, even though you could kind of see it trending downward and there was all the talk about, you know, what was going to happen with Millsap and what direction were they heading? They still made the playoffs and they still had, you know, what some people would look at as a successful season. I think the Hornets would have looked at it as a successful season last year. And yet um, they did not part on, on good terms. So, you know, at some point it is all about Dwight. So they're going to have to cater to him. And that is the part that I think you're justified in being a little nervous about. In or- this is what he says in the article, quote, in Orlando, I was getting 13 to 15 shots a game. Last season in Atlanta, it was six shot attempts. It looks like I'm not involved in the game. And if I miss a shot, it sticks out because I'm not getting very many of them. But I think it's all opportunity. The system, I haven't had a system where I can be who I am since I was in Orlando. And that seems to be what he's seeking in the Charlotte Hornets in coach uh, Steve Clifford. Okay, let's go to Brad Rowland of Locked on Hawks. We talked to him last night about this article. I was basically, I was trying to maybe feel a little bit better, get a little inside information from a guy. Maybe, maybe the situation wasn't as bad as Dwight Howard makes it out to be in this article. Let's kick it to Brad. Alrighty, let's talk about some Dwight Howard. So we have this article out uh, from Woj on ESPN, and it seemed clear, Brad, from the article and his comments specifically, that 
Dwight Howard was satisfied with his role early on in Atlanta and less satisfied by the end of the year. And a lot of that had to do with shot attempts, according to Dwight. Now, first, when Dwight says, quote, toward the end of the season, it turned into, hey, we just got you for defense and rebounds, unquote. What do you what is what do you make of that? What does he mean there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's has a lot to do with the fact that they weren't featuring him, I guess, offensively. I'm not sure that they ever did, but I guess early on in the season, it was more of a, more of something where I guess he was getting the ball as much as as much as he wanted to get the ball, and later on, uh, I think it probably had more to do with him his lack of playing time than anything else. But it read to me like he was uh, sort of increasingly unhappy with not getting the ball as much as he probably uh, at least that he thought he should, or that he was uh, you know supposedly told that he was going to going to get it. Now, when he says toward the end of the season, does that mean like the end of the regular season, or what, or do you think he's more upset about what happened in the playoffs? Um, I mean, probably probably the playoffs. I mean, he, he did a pretty uh, high profile exit interview that he was uh, he's pretty much displayed that he was not happy during the exit interview. Um, uh, a lot of short answers, a lot of little little quip stuff where it was clear that he was not pleased with the with the way things went in the playoffs. And you know, some of that's just losing, I'm sure. But uh, at the same time, he was clearly the one guy on the roster that was. Uh, very short and not particularly pleased, even above and beyond everybody else's. So I think it's probably the playoffs, but I mean, I guess it, with the way it read, it was reading like it was uh, some regular season stuff too. And the Hawks were, uh, to be fair, the Hawks were better early on in the year as a team as well, just with from a success from a success standpoint. So that could have been part of it as well. I mean, the theme coming from this Woj article, and really, I guess you can look back over his entire career for Howard, is that he craves acceptance. He wants to be involved, and he views that you know as a sign of acceptance. So I mean, it feels like the Hornets and especially Clifford are going to have to make some sort of plan to get him involved. Whether it's those courtesy post-ups that you guys saw, I mean that. But that's that's when they went away from that. There really wasn't another option for the Hawks, was there? And that's when it all went downhill. Yeah, I mean. So- to an extent, I would say that. I mean, that's, that's the. I, I thought it was a good gamble for the Hornets, just to just to be fair, not giving up really anything and getting off Coleman's contract. It made a lot of sense to me, and the Clipper connection that he talks about in the same piece from Woj. But yeah, I, I do think that uh, the, the overarching theme for me is something I've said after the fact, especially in reading that post, but something I already thought is that uh, the biggest thing that Dwight has to figure out at this point in his career is that he's not the same guy that he used to be. He's not a superstar anymore. I think he's had a really, really tough time uh, adjusting to that. If he's even tried to adjust to that, I think he still, he, I think he still views himself that way. And uh, as we all kind of know, when guys uh, view themselves that way and don't play that way, it really could be a detriment. We've seen it with Derrick Rose, another guy sort of around the league that's like that right now. And I think Dwight's still a better player than Derrick Rose is. Um, but at the same time, I, He's not a guy who probably should be getting a lot of touches at this point in his career. He's definitely a better, you know, sort of defensive rebounding center, and that's something that he clearly was not happy with in that in the article and talking to Woj. But I think that's kind of what he is. So it's it's more of a situation where he probably has to just figure out that that's what he is. I'm not sure that he's ever going to do that. Maybe Clifford can sort of ease him in that direction because of the relationship that, 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 that those two guys have. But um, for me, that's the biggest problem with Dwight at this point. At least the biggest question mark. If you don't want to say problem, it's just whether he could finally accept the fact that he's not the not the go-to guy. He's not going to be the best player on the team. Obviously, this is Kemba Walker's team. It's not going to be Dwight's team. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in Charlotte. But he, he, that was probably the biggest thing for me in Atlanta was that he never sort of figured that out. Oh, why do you think Budenholzer decided to go away from him in, in that playoff series? What was your what was your read on that and, and, and Dwight's reaction to that? Um, for me, I actually wanted him to go away from Dwight even more. 
more in the playoffs. And that was not necessarily because Dwight individually um, was not playing well. It was one of those things where I, I, I thought he was pr- pr- pretty clearly hampered physically. Uh, he sort of maintains, the Hawks maintain that he wasn't injured, but he sort of lost some of his, some of his explosiveness over the course of the season, definitely looked to be slower and more groundbound as the season went along. And in the playoffs, they just couldn't score with him on the court. That was basically the takeaway that I had a lot of people had and that the Hawks, you know, operating as an underdog in that series kind of needed to throw the kitchen sink at the Wizards. And a lot, a lot of that was because of the offensive side of the ball. And uh, they were just better offensively with other guys in the lineup, whether it be Mike Muscala or small ball lineups or whatever else whatever else that they decided to do and uh you know knowing that you're going to go into a series as the underdog um it sort of made some sense to shake it up and we saw that happen you know they made a couple of runs without Dwight on the court and some fourth quarters in that series so it proved to be uh, i think the right decision to go away from him but you know talking about a guy in Dwight that was you know he's been an all-nba player for a long time He's not quite that player now, but uh, you know the pride. The pride factor uh, is definitely something that matters in, in this situation. And when, when he wasn't playing late in that series, uh, a lot of us knew, and a lot of us at least assumed that, that it was going to be not you know taken very well from Dwight. And he did he did okay during the series, but afterwards it was definitely clear that he was not terribly thrilled with not playing. So. I was okay with this. I was okay with the choice when it happened. I definitely understood it, and it did make some sense basketball wise. But you, you know, part of your job as a head coach is to manage egos as well, and that did not go over well. And describe for us Atlanta's offensive system last season under Budenholzer, and and what Dwight's role was in that system uh, throughout the season. Not not in the playoffs when they obviously went away from him, but when things were were better for Dwight. What was that offensive system like for him? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, it felt like early on in the year, it, being that he was a free agent acquisition, it was. I felt like the Hawks were sort of going out of their way to get him involved because the way that Budenholzer sort of always coached is uh, a system that doesn't really emphasize particular guys. It's been more of a motion system, more of a free-flowing passing system. And I think we all kind of assumed that was going to go away to a certain extent with Dwight Howard, and that ended up being the case. That's not really the kind of player that he is. He's more of a pick-and-roll type. That uh, Well, at least he should be a pick-and-roll type at this point in his career. But he, he likes to have the ball in the post. He likes to just catch it on the block sort of in an old-school way and try to go to work down there the Hawks would do that sometimes with him uh, I would say more so or more so early on in the year uh, to very limited success I would say you know the numbers were not great when he did that uh, I'm not sure Dwight knows that numbers aren't great when he did that but uh, it's one of those things where Dwight's post stuff kind of sort of became like a running joke and uh, Hawks Twitter um, land just because uh, you know on, on, a, on a points per points per possession basis they were never uh, really very efficient offense but uh, getting him involved does matter and it kept him happy early on I think they sort of went away from that a little bit as the season went along I think part of that because again I don't, I don't think he was particularly healthy slash uh, at least not in uh, um, you know tip-top explosiveness shape you know his body has a lot of miles on it it's not really his fault but I think he definitely looked a little bit more sluggish as the season went along uh, that could have been part of it as well as just the Hawks were not very good offensively so they really couldn't afford to give away possessions with Dwight the post and he's, he's just a better pick and roll player than he is and then he has anything else right now but he just, it, doesn't, it doesn't really love playing pick and roll it's one of those things where it's kind of his best thing but i don't think he loves doing it it's sort of an unselfish thing because a lot of the time when you're playing pick and roll you're, you're really just trying to draw the defense and i'm not sure he wants to do that i think he, I think he wants the ball wants to score and you know the rebounding was always there the defense was usually there but offensively his role sort of petered out a little bit just because they went away from sort of what i viewed as courtesy post-ups they never said that but it's one of those things where they weren't going out of their way to get him involved in the offense early on in the year that sort of went away as the season went along and they got more into their more uh i guess their their normal offense quote unquote something that basically what Budenholzer never goes away from uh, specific, never goes to to a specific guy trying to get him involved. It's more of a, a free 
flowing uh, system like that. And I'm not sure that played to Dwight's strike necessarily. Let me ask you one more thing. What was the relationship between, how would you describe the relationship between Dwight Howard and Coach Budenholzer? Do you feel like when it came time for the playoffs, Mike Budenholzer felt like, listen, my my responsibility is to the team, to the Hawks, and and it's bigger than Dwight Howard, and I'm going to do my own thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably the case. I, mean, I, I always got the feeling that, that they got along okay during the regular season. You know, Bud's not the kind of guy who's going to give you a whole lot of insight into relationships. He's very uh, matter-of-fact, doesn't really like to give a lot to the media, and that's worked out for him. So, you know, taking too much uh, into account from what you see publicly is not usually the best tact when dealing with Budenholzer. But I do think that, you know, I think he probably understood what the, ramific- what the ramifications were going to be for not playing Dwight, or at least what they could be for not playing Dwight as much as the playoffs. But you know, in, in that kind of situation, you have to look at your squad and say, "Look, what's my best chance to win?" And if that's if he doesn't think that's going to be Dwight playing thirty minutes a game, then he's not going to play thirty minutes a game. So I thought they did okay for the you know for the, for the most part. There were no there was no uh, nothing in sort of a high profile high profile blow up of any sort during the season. They seemed to be getting along just fine, and Bud was always complimentary. I thought almost overly so of Dwight throughout the regular season. Uh, maybe to try to keep him happy. Maybe they just liked him because look, when they signed Dwight, Bud was also the uh, principal decision maker in terms of the front office. So. He clearly uh, had some input there, or at least made the final decision, or at least part of it with the owner. Um, so they they had a plan. They wanted Dwight. They went out and got him in free agency. It wasn't a situation where they had to go get they had to go get him. So that relationship was clearly pretty good, at least at the outset. I'm not sure if it deteriorated full stop, but uh, by the playoffs, you know, he made that decision that they uh, that the Hawks were better off playing him in a, in a more limited role. I agreed with it. Dwight Dwight did not agree with it, and that's sort of the end of the story. But I think that was probably all it was. Uh, knowing Bud a little bit as I do is that he probably just thought it was the best basketball decision that's what he went with brad last week the the players votes came out for uh you know teammate of the year and dwight howard was the hawks choice did that surprise you at all yes uh in short yes it did i mean <laughs> i'm not i'm not blown away by it because uh you know in all in all fairness to dwight i, t- I take some shots at dwight i know people a lot of people, a lot of people have uh especially the young guys on the team seem to like dwight i know Tor. And Prince gets along very well with Dwight. Looked up to Dwight. Talked about that relationship throughout the season. So I know there's some guys in that locker room that really like him. Uh, at the same time, it did surprise me, uh, given that you know if the entire roster's up for grabs and having Dwight win a Teammate of the Year award was definitely a surprise to me. Not that he. He was uh, this, you know, giant distraction publicly that we saw, but you know, his reputation sort of precedes him in the way that he uh, has left the last couple of situations with, uh, you know, different teams. You know, Houston, Houston obviously did not end well. Los Angeles the same way. So, uh, you know, I heard some good things about Dwight. I heard some bad things about Dwight, both on and off the record throughout the time that he was there. Uh, so it wasn't like he's the worst guy in the world, and I would never say that. But I think it sort of speak, spoke volumes that the Hawks sort of gave him away for. Uh, I, I almost want to say for nothing but it's almost less than nothing and taking back miles plumley so it's one of those things where it was pretty clear with what, what, what they thought of him um so him winning that award definitely did surprise me i kind of had a little bit of laughter when it happened but if you try to try to sell me on it i guess i could probably be sold on it just because i know some guys like him but it was definitely a surprise okay david that didn't make me feel a whole lot better well, I, I mean, look, like like I said, um, no, it, it did not. <laughs> like no one parted, uh, no one parted ways on, on a positive note. In, no one in that situation did. It sounds like, but I, I just go back and look at he was still relatively effective for Atlanta. A double double, as we've talked about, made the playoffs. As we've talked about, it's like 
And the playoffs, the playoffs seem to be something that stick out for him. I'm going to go back to that quote that I read before yeah. the Brad Rowland article. So he said, I was getting 13 to 15 shots a game in Orlando. Last season in Atlanta, it was six shot attempts. Well, during the regular season... It was closer to eight and a half. Yeah, during the regular season, it was closer to eight and a half. And then it drops to six in the playoffs. And that seems to be... And it makes sense, right, if you think about it, because he uh, was a star in this league. Some would argue still is. I'm certain he would argue that he still is. And once you're a star, you have this mentality of when it's go time, when the gate, when the lights are the brightest, I want the ball. And, and he wanted the ball desperately in, in Atlanta. And honestly, like when I look at the numbers, he kind of had a case. I mean, when you look at that that Atlanta playoff series and the two victories that they had in that series, he got nine field goal attempts and he played 28 and a half minutes. In the losses, it drops to four and a half because of that benching. And, and he only averages 24.9 minutes. Now, that may be a simplistic view, and I, I'm sure Budenholzer would have some things to say about that in terms of strategy and what they were facing in that in that playoff series. But one thing that did comfort me from that interview is I think, David, that there are two key differences between the Hornets and the Hawks. One is in the offensive system that Budenholzer ran that you heard Brad talk about that's much more, it's not focused on one player. It's it's not focused on one or two players, really. It's focused on everyone, and, and the ball moves around a lot. That hasn't historically been what the Charlotte Hornets look like. It has been focused on you know one or two or three offensive threats as opposed to moving it around very quickly all the time. It's not as motion-based. And secondly, the other big difference, I think, is between Budenholzer and Steve Clifford. I'm not sure that Budenholzer, this may be this may be a little unfair, but I'm not sure Budenholzer is used to or or equipped to fully deal with a, a star with an ego like Dwight Howard. Whereas I think Clifford has coached with, well, he's coached with Dwight Howard. He's coached Tracy McGrady. He's coached with the Knicks. Like Kobe. he's been around. Kobe, right? He's coached Kobe. Like he's been around that and he's seen success with those teams and with those stars. So I feel like that Clifford may know some some tricks, some things that you can do. And and he's had experience in a very small case without Jefferson. Or Jefferson was a guy that felt like, look, I'm the guy that needs the ball. Uh, in, in these crucial situations, and he found ways to get Jefferson the ball in the post, even when it, in the grand scheme of things, may not have been the best play all the time. You got him his looks, got him into a rhythm, so that late in the game he could perform for you. And that's what I think it comes down to for me, because you look back at when he was in Houston, and so much of the talk was he's not happy because he's just not getting his touches. And of course, he had a ball dominant guard there in James Harden. And so that's the biggest thing to me. If they can figure out a way to get him involved and get some of his touches, I think it's doable. I'm sure Atlanta thought it was doable too, though. So I think that's going to be the important part just as much on Clifford as clearly uh, Kimball Walker, you know, Nick Batum, anybody that's creating with that ball to make sure they involve Dwight Howard. And you mentioned Al Jefferson. And, and I remember back when they brought Jefferson in, I mean, he did not have a good reputation as someone who could pass out of the post and make things happen through him. And Clifford really kind of transformed that image of him. You know, he wasn't dropping 10 downs a game or anything, but 
he, he was a useful post passer from Al Jefferson. So I think if they can get that from someone who was in Al Jefferson's position, I think Dwight Howard can be put in that a similar position to have success there too. So yeah, I, I just think this whole thing falls back on Clifford, um, his desire to bring in Dwight Howard, the effort he's making now, right? I mean, coaches do this, you know, they do travel and they do make off season um, efforts to see players, but I think that's, that is important. I mean, he, he's going out of his way. This is not a Hornets workout. This is a private Dwight Howard workout. Um, Clifford's going there to, you know, to ease things in early to start. I think that's, that's big too. It, I mean, it, look, he's the biggest question for a reason, right? Um, well, well, here's, of his past. here's what worries me, David, is that <clears throat> we're already making this about Steve Clifford. And, and what well, happens if Dwight Howard <laughs> has a resurgence? It's a lot like the sort of the Trump Bannon thing or the Trump Flynn mm-hmm. thing. Whenever anyone gets bigger than Trump, Trump gets a little upset and and suddenly they're gone. And what what happens if Dwight Howard has a resurgence and all of the articles are about <laughs> so they're already kind of there where it's Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford has figured out. Oh, it's coming. I mean, it's coming. And, if the Hornets go off to a fast star, right? I mean, that's going to be the theme. And and, and, and and like it probably should be though. I mean, shouldn't it? Shouldn't he get some credit? Why? Why? Absolutely. But but what happens? Because again, here's what here's what makes me nervous. At the end of this article, Woj writes, Howard has a chance, but it's on him once and for all. And I agree with that. But but I don't see when I look at this article, I don't see any quotes from Dwight that feel like. He has a grasp on that thesis. It still ranges, his quotes still range from, well, they said blank, and, and then blank happened, or people perceive blank, or the vague, like, well, you know, that situation didn't work out. Th- there's so little introspection, and I just wonder, so if it goes badly, y- you know it's not going to fall back on Dwight, in, in Dwight's mind, and if it goes really well, you know, what happens when those articles get written? The give, I don't know. Oh, just posing, they, just posing yeah, questions. Sorry. Just telling you what I'm concerned about. That's all I'm saying. Can I tell you what else I'm concerned about, David? Please. A new round of Malik Monk thought he would be drafted by the Knicks articles came out last week. This time, uh, Malik Monk telling the Daily News, quote, me, my agent, everybody in my agency, my family, we thought we were going to New York. And he went on to say of being passed up by the Knicks, quote, of course it's motivation to show up a team that's passed me in the draft, Monk said. You know you want to go number one pick anyway, so whoever doesn't pick you, you're going to remember that. I mean, they're going to see. Mm. Do you want to know why this makes me nervous a little? Because you think like you hear that and you go, yeah, he's got a chip on his shoulder, right? Oh, he's going to take this and, and really just he's going to perform and and he's going to he's going to show the Knicks and everybody those 10 teams that passed up on him. Oh, yeah, get him, Malik. That's what that's what immediately comes to mind, right? Well, not me. I'm a worrier. I, I don't think yeah. that way, David. Here's what it makes me think of. It, this feels like being really, really angry at an ex, but secretly you talk to you talk to him about your you talk to about them to your friends. You say, "Oh man, <laughs> But then, if they ever asked for you back, they were calls you up in the middle of the night. You'd start the car, you'd hit the gas, and that's what this so feels. Are you are you worried? Are you worried about 
him defecting to the to the Knicks at some point? Or are you worried about that's him exactly yeah overcompensating for <laughs> that, no? That's exactly no. Listen, it's it's that same situation where you go, yeah, they're they're I'm going to show them, and then restricted free agency comes along, and the Knicks go, hey, listen, yeah, you were right about that draft, and and we want you here. He's like, hell yeah, let's do it. So it's this is again wow. this is a mi- yeah. this is a minor cons- because restricted free agency is great and that it allows teams to keep their draft picks for a while. So this is a concern way down the road. But but could we be seeing he's talking about it a lot, David? I mean, it comes up over and over and again. It's like talking about it too much. This is a, a place where one of those standard <laughs> quotes would be awesome, where someone says, "Well, you know, they passed me up, but I'm glad to be in Charlotte and I'm going to do my thing." Well, also on draft night, John Calipari said he thought and he wished that he would have gone to the Knicks. <laughs> well, before the draft, Malik Monk said Madison Square Garden is legendary. Playing for the Knicks would be legendary. Legendary. Well, I think several folks um, thought they would have been drafted by the Knicks. I mean, I, there's a lot of factors in play, right? One of them is the Knicks franchise, which is pretty much a disastrous mess at this point. So I think it's got to go a long way before it becomes a um, desirable free agent destination, if you know what I mean. Um, but I, I hear you, man. I'm just, I'm just not going to get too worried about Malik before we've even seen him out there with the team and playing here. And you know, look at all the crazy stuff that happens in free agency from from year to year. And we're talking about you know three years out at least. So I think we got to, I think we got to pump the brakes on on this one. But but given the history of draft picks and things not going the Hornets' way, I mean, I hear you. This is not, not rational. This is emotional, Dave. No. I'm talking about irrational oh, yeah. fears that I have about both Dwight Howard and Malik Monk. Listen, Malik, I'm telling you, this is she did me wrong. She cheated on me. She she ripped my <laughs> she ripped my heart out. What's that? She called. She she asked. Did she ask about me? Oh, she did. Oh, tell her I said hi. That's what this is. It's that situation. I think a lot of us have been there. Where where somebody that you have that you're passionate about, that you call that you called legendary. This relationship was legendary. And then and then it all you th- you thought it was you thought it was going to end in marriage. You made plans. You were looking at houses together. And then it all goes Good wrong. Lord. And then it all goes wrong. And then you think, I am never going to speak to this, but I, I will make this person's life hell. And then they call you up one day and they say, listen, I was wrong. Yeah, but they've never been together, Doug. That's the one thing you're missing. In their mind, <laughs> in his mind. No, I think it happened uh, in his different. mind. Well, it happened in somebody's mind. Uh, and then, and then Phil Jackson came mind, along sure. and, and wanted Neela Kina. And you already have articles about, well, was mm-hmm. Neil Aquina a mistake? Because that was a Phil Jackson thing, and now Phil Jackson's gone. I think it's yeah, fair. Yeah, but Dennis Smith went into that batch, too. <laughs> Everyone should have been drafted by the Knicks. I mean, clearly. It's, they haven't had a relationship, Doug. I think you're, you're getting a little... Don't be don't be the, the other you know, side of that coin, the worry wart. Then you'll just make, you'll just make your mate want to look over there. You know what I mean? So... Uh, I think we got to pump the brakes on this one. He's going to be all right. We got to, you got to show That's him right. I'm the, you're everything right. that you can do together. You're right. I am. You're right. I'm being the new boyfriend who's jealous of the mm-hmm. Knicks. Yeah. 
Yeah, just be cool, man. Play it cool. I'm trying. Play it cool, daddy. I'm trying, but but when you but listen, Malik Monk. When you look at his game, is is you see these videos coming out of his workouts and his shot is so pure and I, you know, that that, that athleticism yeah. and that shot making, we haven't seen that in so long. And then and then he keeps talking about the Knicks. Like, just quit talking about it. That's all I'm asking. I'm not. Listen, just when we're having dinner, don't bring him up. Just don't bring him up. Just don't bring him up. That's all I'm asking. This is when, Doug, this is when the Knicks come into town. You need to take them, you know, aside. Just, you know, <laughs> you and the Knicks go around the corner. And you have a very stern but understood conversation with the New York Knicks franchise. Mm-hmm. And know in certain terms that uh, Malik, you and Malik are together. Malik and the Hornets are together. Yeah. You need it's time over. to let that Between block Between you two, it's over. Okay? It's over. Let it go. She's moved on. She's moved on. <laughs> Okay, the Hornets have lost another assistant coach, David. I'm not nervous about this, uh, although... Oh, thank God. Well, I'm not, because uh, you know, I think that Clifford knows a lot of good people and has maintained a great staff since since joining the Hornets uh, in, in 2012 or 2013. Yeah. Uh, so Bob Weiss will be moving to the Denver Nuggets for family reasons. Weiss is a veteran of NBA benches going back to the 1980s and has been with the Hornets since Steve Clifford joined in 2013. Clifford told Rick Bennell and the Charlotte Observer that they want to replace Weiss with someone who has similar lengthy experience like Weiss, possibly a former head coach. So, David, I've got a few ideas. I've got, I went digging. I got some names. First, Don, this is, this is kind of out there. Don Chaney. Has been out of the league for a while. Two-time NBA wow. champion in the 70s, 22 years as a coach, 12 as a head coach. He was an assistant with Steve Clifford in Houston, so there's a connection. But as I said, kind of an outside shot. Been out of coaching for a while, was a head coach, so does fit all of those parameters. Could look to someone of, again, you're, you're trying to replace Weiss with that veteran experience. So maybe Cheney could be could be someone they look at. How about this name, David? About the same age as Weiss, Paul Silas, head coach of the Hornets from 98 to 2002, and the Bobcats coach from 2010 to 2012, of course, was head coach of that disastrous uh, seven-win season as they tanked. Mm -hmm. So he's, he's been through it, but he still sits behind the bench for most Hornets games. Yeah. Still very connected to the franchise. Could be an easy plug-in there on the bench as an assistant coach, if he wants to get back in the game. What do you think of that name? Yeah, just, just move up one seat. They don't have to change much. <laughs> or just keep him back there, really. I mean, just lean back when you need well, something. If, he, if he's comfortable back there, sure. Maybe he's, you know, he's well, it's, yeah. the seat's well-worn, conformed to his body type. Yeah. Uh, Mike Dunleavy Sr. How about Mike Dunleavy okay. Sr.? 22 seasons as a coach. Again, I'm just looking for guys with experience. He's now the problem is he's now Tulane's head coach, heading into a second year in his experiment as a college yeah. coach. But maybe college. Yeah. Listen, they had a tough year, Tulane. So maybe college. Maybe he's like, I don't know. I want to get back in the game. Former head coach. Yeah, maybe, maybe, definitely former head coach. Definitely has experience. Do you have any Van Gundys on your list? I don't. Uh, this whole idea of like Jeff Van uh, Gundy, I can't see that. Lucrative broadcasting job. Uh, if that guy gets back in, it's head coach. Come on. 
Well, he's, 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 no. he's, he's, got, he's on the bench now. He's coaching uh, the U.S. team in some form or fashion. That's so but, yeah, maybe, no. mm. I don't see it. How about, but I, I, I could see Randy Whitman, 20 years okay. plus okay. as an NBA coach. Last. Well, selfishly, selfishly, I would want uh, Van Gundy to stay on the broadcast. I, I, I kind of enjoy him doing the the analyst work. And to that note, maybe maybe the Hornets could bring in Reggie Miller and just kill two birds with one stone. I'll say this about Van Gundy: while he does not have the age of a Bob Weiss, he he acts like that age, like he's a grumpy old man. <laughs> so why not? Uh, like it's, yeah. I mean, he's you know they say you're only as young as you feel. I think he's as old as he broadcasts. So I think he definitely fits that sort of old school. Well, you, do you think this is the right way to go to a more better and more experienced guy to add to the bench? I think it is. I well, think yeah, because sense. you move Steven Silas, who took over for Patrick Ewing. So you move Steven Silas up. You add Mike Batiste, who's a little younger. So, yeah, you want you want kind mm-hmm. of a, a veteran experience, somebody who's been around the league for a long time. There are a couple of assistant coaches, too, sort of career assistant coaches that they could look at, guys that have been with Steve Clifford in his uh, stays in New York, Houston, L.A., and Orlando, guys like Andy Greer, Mike Longabardi, and Jim San. Jim San, not sure on the last name pronunciation there, but those are some names that uh, you should keep an eye on because these guys, I, think, I feel like normally – especially when you're replacing a guy right before the season, you're probably going to look to your, to your pedigree, to your, to your house, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to like, right. So yeah, I mean, you know, if Van Gundy showed up, would I be like incredibly shocked? Maybe not, but I think I would be surprised because I just don't see Van Gundy be going from this lucrative broadcasting job to an, to an assistant coach. You're not even, I don't even know, or maybe, I don't know. We haven't heard. That's the other thing too. We haven't heard Steven Silas with the official title of associate head coach, which is what Patrick Ewing had. We've heard lead assistant. So Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe they look to a Van Gundy or a Whitman or one of these guys who's been a head coach for a while and make him the the associate head coach. Maybe that's the idea. Yeah. All right. I think we've talked enough. I, I'm I'm I don't know if my concerns have been necessarily. Are uh, you? You're still worried. I can feel it. I can hear it in your voice. You're yeah, still worried. It's my job. I don't think anything's going to. I'm giving voice. Help you until we get in. I'm giving voice. Yeah, exactly. I need basketball. I need I need the the I need people dribbling and shooting and passing. That's what I need. Yeah. So just stay off the internet, though. It's never done anything good for anyone. <laughs> well, it helped you watch the eclipse. Um, all right, we're gonna be <laughs> we're gonna be back on Thursday with another show, and then we're we're getting back on the air five days a week starting September 11th. So set your calendars, and we're going to be starting player previews then, and getting ready for training camp, getting ready for media day. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming up at the end of September, heading into October. And David, the the one good thing is that we're not going to have to wait long from the preseason ending to the season starting. So that's exciting as well. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Overcast, on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Locked On Hornets. 
Give us a five-star review. Give us a star on Overcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. Listen, we're, we're almost here. So it's time to get your questions in about not just Dwight Howard, not Malik Monk. We're talking Jeremy Lamb. We're talking Nick Batum. I know you got questions. Send them. Buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.